Welcome to Covert Action Bulletin, the official radio program and podcast of Covert Action Magazine, where we've been exposing the covert action of the U.S. government and plutocrats worldwide since 1978. I'm your host, Rachel Hu. And I'm Chris Garaffa. So we're happy to be joined now by Carl Za, host of Silk and Steel podcast, which focuses on Chinese history, culture and politics. Welcome to the show, Carl. Thank you, Rachel. So happy to have you. So I want to get into it. I mean, there's so much I want to talk about today, especially when we talk about the U.S. Cold War on China. There really is so much we can get into. But I kind of want to start our discussion with the recent statement that was given by Merrick Garland about the prosecution of alleged Chinese spies. I mean, there's so much that I felt when I read the statement and when I also was hearing about so much of it, all the different coverage we've been seeing from different networks talking about all of the Chinese spies that are supposedly infiltrating on all these levels. But I'm curious, your thoughts about this statement. What do you feel this means in relationship to the U.S. Cold War on China and anything else you want to bring forward? I, I have my own thoughts, but I want to hear yours first. I mean, for, for me, I what immediately brought to mind was a win. This is a Wen Ho Lee case again. Uh, Wen Ho Lee is a case that was brought forth uh, back in 1999 when U.S. first discovered China has... Um, develop uh, uh, advanced miniaturized uh, nuclear warhead design. So they immediately think this must be a data stolen from U.S. lab, uh, particularly Los Alamos uh, nuclear lab. And they pinpoint to uh, ethnic Chinese scientist, Wen Ho Li, who was actually born in Taiwan, you know, under Japanese colonial rule. And he immigrated to U.S. in the 1960s. And when they, they, level over 50 uh, indictments on him. And in the end, they couldn't prove anything. And they tried to get him for improper handling of classified data. And the way they did that is they retroactively upgraded uh, the, the, the data Wong Holy transferred to his own laptop to work from home from restricted to secret. So they, they retroactively um, uh, classify the, the the information just to ensnare Wen Holy, and Wen Holy was fired from his job. He was um, placed in, he was denied bail and placed in solitary confinement. And and this is this at in the end, you know, the U.S. government admit. Well, they didn't admit it's a mistake. They agreed to pay um, uh, almost nine hundred thousand uh, dollars for Wen Holy's legal fees, but the but they specify this fee does not admit uh does must own can go only to cover the legal costs because the US government still ad, doesn't admit it made any wrongdoing in prosecuting one holy basically over nothing. So I think this is we are have a replay of that early nine uh, the late nineties affair, but much worse because now the US China relationship has been gotten a lot worse since then. And 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 under this I have heard through the grapevines, um, you know, I have a very reliable insider source who has told me basically at this point, FBI is just looking at their database of all the AI startup in United States and looking up any senior executives with a, with a Chinese name and start investigating from there. And just today we uh, in the news, a too simple, it's a, 
uh, uh, AI startup focusing on self-driving trucks. They they uh, they have been investigated uh, by the FBI uh, the the for supposedly improper um, disclosure of information with a, a Chinese company, which they're uh, which they're uh, incubating. They, they have a they're they're working with another Chinese start AI startup in China, and they're saying this is this is uh, this. This this vi- this is defrauding U.S. investors because they did not know about this cooperation with China and, and it's again it's a lot of bogus charges. The CEO just got fired, um, and this is again this is part of the new uh, witch hunt against ethnic Chinese scientists, researchers, um, anybody working in the STEM field. Basically, because. You know, because we have a very identifiable last name, we have a very identifiable face. We are the U.S. is making China the the new enemy, and and guess what? The Chinese Americans are now wearing the face of the enemy, and and we are at the the forefront of the U.S. China Cold War right now. Yeah, without a doubt. I mean, I think it's really interesting that you share some of this, too, in terms of the, the the interesting elements you're bringing in from your source. I mean, the FBI has claimed that the China initiative is over, but I think it doesn't really matter if the FBI says it's over or not. It's very clear that it's not by any stretch in any way, shape or form. I mean, it's, it's out of control when you really think about it. Any researcher who's a Chinese researcher is at risk right now. I mean, it's a very serious situation. And I think that these statements that were made by Merrick Garland, like when you really start dissecting it, it's like it's supposedly supposed to be just indictments. And yet he's talking about foreign government power. And it's all this like it's just kind of the way that it's worded. I think that the language that was literally used around it was just so intense, like our guys got him energy. And it's just like this is not terrorism. This is not anything that you think it is. But it's being framed in that way to, to act as though being a Chinese researcher is just as evil or as just dastardly or terrible as it would be to to be somebody who's planning a terrorist threat like it's terrifying yeah the the specific verbiage he said is as these cases demonstrated the government of china sought to interfere with the rights and freedoms of individuals in united states and to undermine our judiciary system that protects these rights i mean they're really presenting china as the existential threat the American way of life, which is totally ridiculous. And the specific case that they uh, brought out about, they talk about uh, a supposedly uh, some Chinese official is attempting to uh, bribe uh, two uh, uh, two witnesses who is involved in a process uh, investigation into a China-based global telemarketing telecommunication company now they didn't name the name but everybody know they're talking about huawei and, <laughs> of course of course yeah. yeah and there's they're basically implying that somehow this uh, supposedly this chinese foreign agent is trying to uh buy information about the witnesses that um uh, 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 getting confidential information about witnesses trial evidence and potential new charges that could be brought against huawei now this is Sounds very dubious to me because the whole Huawei case, you know, China's approach has been to resolve it through diplomatic pressure, not through. It's the U.S. that's pursuing it from a legal 
legalistic lens, right? And and also, uh, I think someone else also pointed out that uh, the 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 witnesses these the the the, the witnesses' names they have to be disclosed in court to both sides, you know, to the prosecution and the defense. So it doesn't really even make sense to buy information that would be available anyway. And, and again, this Huawei case is already, this, this was like, they're, revi- they're just reviving the Huawei case right now. And, and of course, the Huawei uh, CFO was nabbed because supposedly Huawei violated U.S. sanction on Iran. And and because Huawei has business dealing with United States, you know, it's not allowed to sell telecommunication equipment to Iran. And 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 they they nap uh, Huawei CFO supposedly because by not disclosing Huawei is uh, is setting up a telecommunication network in Iran, it's it's defrauding again, defrauding investors and and somehow I mean it's really like a lot of legal lease they're trying to. Um, wrap around this case again the huawei case is is most people would think this is over uh as you mentioned also rachel that the china initiative is supposed to be over but i have a friend who is a professor uh at one of the u.s public universities she told me no china initiative is over in name only but you know fbi is still very active inter uh you know investigating chinese professors on campus I have a Chinese researcher reaching out to me from Arizona University. Um, she he was uh, involved in advanced rocketry, and he he told me he was very concerned because uh, um, FBI has came to his door and and he uh, and, and and asking all about his past jobs, and he was very concerned. And this 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 news just came to me recently. He just um, it's very unfortunate. He just committed suicide. Not oh my very God. long I'm so sorry. Yeah, after reaching out to me. This is, uh, you know, he's, uh, he's a researcher in the University of Arizona. He was, uh, um, he, uh, he was a researcher in, into the advanced rocketry and AI. And all these uh, fields that U.S. is thinking um, to apply pressure on China. Uh, you know, US, U.S. government has uh, just put new sanctions on uh, semiconductor sector on China. and. And including restricting persons of U.S. citizenship from working with Chinese company unless they get a U.S. government waiver. So what did Wall Street Journal do? They immediately went out and obtained a list of 40 some odd uh, senior Chinese American executives who are working in the Chinese semiconductor industry. You know, they published it. Uh, I, I tweeted out, I'm like, F- Wall Street Journal is essentially working hand in hand with FBI right now, uh, um, you know, to put the pressure on on the Chinese Americans who have any ties with China. That the there we are being painted guilty by association. Uh, I mean, but what is wrong? What is wrong with simply working in Chinese semiconductor industry? I mean, U.S. and China are not at war, you know. Like, but now U.S. government is acting like China is the enemy. You know, you are. Somehow you are aiding the enemy just simply by working in China, by working in Chinese companies. Um, the, we're we're spiraling down a very dangerous trend right now. 
It's dangerous. It is. I want to say this real quick, Chris. I just think it's really important that when we talk about this, like there are real casualties. It's real. Like what's happening right now, the kind of investigations, the kind of absolute turning over of people's lives. I mean, we have we saw what happened with Franklin Tao. We saw what happened, how drawn out that was, how ridiculous that was. I mean, we're talking about years of people's lives and the fact that somebody committed suicide. There's so many other things probably going on in his life. But this doesn't help. I mean, this doesn't help by any stretch of the imagination that you're imagining everything you've worked for, everything that you gave so much of your life up to become and be could all be taken away from you because of racism. I mean, that's what this is. But Chris, definitely get in there. Well, I'm I'm glad you brought up Franklin Tao, actually, because I think that that's a really significant case uh, for folks to, to look into and to learn about, you know, this man who was cleared. He was cleared along with. Uh, a number of others, but his case, particularly like within the same week, there were like three cases that were brought under the China initiative uh, and they were cleared of any sort of wrongdoing whatsoever. But it has it has literally destroyed lives, families, careers. Um, and I think you're right, Carl, right? The, the, the China initiative, the name might be over, but it still is going on. I mean, I feel the same way when we look at like you know, something like the the NSA's, you know, PRISM program. PRISM might be over, but like they're still doing it in another way, right? Just because the name is done doesn't mean it's it's over. And I think, you know, when we look at it, it's been very interesting as I've been trying to, you know, just over the past, you know, while research these things, the most the places that I find the most I guess unbiased stories in a sense are like on science websites and nature.com and all of that because science and nature, this is, you know, and, and just research is just transcends borders or should. And that seems to very much be the Chinese approach to it. Whereas the American government approach has been just, you know, the American universities should own everything. The American government must control it. We can't have the Chinese government or corporations, you know, getting any of it. But I, I'm glad you also brought up the case of the microchips. I think that's really significant because a lot of that is going to actually come back and affect the U.S., right? Um, you know. Huawei, ZTE, a number of other companies are already leading the way in 5G technologies and the latest Wi-Fi, uh, you know, standards that are, that are coming out. You know, Europe, the U.S. has effectively failed at getting most of Europe to ban uh, Chinese companies, but still continues to, you know, to try to ban them here. Um, and it seems like it's not just a trade war. It's not just an economic war. It really is trying to isolate China, but only from the U.S. at this point, right, to to be banning the import of U.S. chips into China because China needs those chips to make the equipment that it is then selling back, you know, to countries in Africa, to countries in Europe and formerly to you know the United States. Does, is that right? Yeah, I mean, right now, it seems like the uh, decision makers, the, the elite in Washington, they really want to bring back the Cold War. And the idea is that, oh, Cold, we won the Cold War 1.0, right? You know, we know how that game plays out. We know, we know how it plays out. We, all we got to do is to bring back to the, the world where it's divided into two camps, you know, like us versus them. And, and we will win this. This is the idea behind the so-called decoupling. Because as we know, the U.S.-China economy has become increasingly intertwined over the last 40 years. And a lot of the U.S. elite felt that's dangerous because with such an intertwined uh, inter- economy, 
it's a problem when there's a conflict or, or confrontation. Uh, then, then so so let's preempt that. We'll preemptively decouple from China. Then we will have less dependencies on the Chinese economy. Then we can ratchet up our uh, you know Cold War rhetoric. Uh, we, uh, we can ratchet up the military tensions, continue to feed our industrial military complex. Uh, this is incredibly short-sighted, incredibly stupid. And I agree with you, Chris. This is going to come back and bite U.S. in the ass because um, uh, right now, a lot of the U.S. supply chains depends on China. You know, like, like this, the, the whole idea of somehow cutting off U.S. from China that's just cutting the U.S. off from the rest of the world because the rest of the world are perfectly willing to do business with China. That just means the U.S. companies will now lose access to the Chinese market by decrease of U.S. government. It's, it's, it's in, incredibly dumb, but we know our politicians are, are pretty short-sighted and dumb, right. unfortunately. <laughs> I mean, this has to backfire. Yeah. This has to backfire. You know, the U.S. has, of course, the blockade on Cuba, which is... a you know, not, I mean, you can't compare the size of the economy of Cuba with China, right? So, and so the U.S. is able to maintain that. But I think, yeah, I mean, backfire is, I think, such an important word to use here when we're talking about what's going to happen, because also we have the U.S. really getting onto a war footing with China. I mean, sending, you know, carrier ship or, like, you know, battle carrier groups and all of that into or close to the South China Sea, um, you know, stepping up. Many in many cases, there you know the war games that are happening, not just against China but also North Korea. But any kind of U.S. attack on North Korea was effectively an attack on China. I mean, that's you know just geographically they have to consider it that way. Um, so not just with the economic and then technology impact, but you know this this whole idea of you know it's going to backfire, and that's definitely correct. But I think you know the way our politicians go, no matter which party, the Republicans or Democrats. They're going to say, well, now we can't get goods and that's China's fault somehow. Right. Yeah. I mean, the U.S. screwed the pooch on the, on their economy to begin with. I mean, why was there no foresight from the U.S. government? Just to be honest, thinking about what could happen in the future. They wanted cheap prices. They wanted that they wanted to do. They thought that they could be in a position of power to exploit China forever. They really believed that in the 80s and the 90s. They thought that that would always be the situation that would always be the case. And it's almost like I, I, I'm kind of dumbfounded how they were so blindsided by the fact that China developed on its own. And every single time the U.S. tries to box China out, it gets creative. I mean, that's been the situation. That's been the case. China not only has now the burgeoning technology, the knowledge, the resources, but they have the raw resources to literally be completely independent. I mean, China for thousands of years as a country was the center of, of so much of the world because of that fact. And so it's artificial in so many ways to imagine. And, and, and the, the colonization of China and of course the the whole legacy of putting China down for so long is that artificial foot that's been really put on top of China because that's not real that's not the reality of what the actual potential of, of the nation is and we're seeing it unfold we're seeing it happen in real time and it's really an incredible thing to, to witness but the US is essentially throwing a temper tantrum they're essentially unable to handle the fact that China has been able to develop on its own terms and its own way. And
and this is their last ditch effort. And that also means that the U.S. is in a state of being very dangerous, kind of like with abusive relationships. When you finally relieve that abusive relationship, that's when it's most dangerous, because that's when they're going to lash out because they don't have control of the situation anymore. And I really feel like especially with the semiconductors, that's why it's coming to such a head. And I, I must point out, you know, China is perfectly willing to have a productive cooperative relationship with United States. It's U.S. government that's pushing really hard for this new Cold War right now. Because before, China was perfectly willing to purchase U.S. design chips manufactured in Taiwan and South Korea and, 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 and use them to, to build their tech industry. But U.S. now is saying, oh, sorry, we're going to cut you off. And now China is forced to pile pour billions of dollars in, into its own semiconductor industry development. So guess what? In five to 10 years time, China will no longer need U.S. designed uh, you know, chips. They will, they will make their own. And, and then what? You know, like, like, like before China bought into this uh, you know, Clinton's uh, globalized connected world. So they, they are perfect. You know, they, 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 that's why there was such an intertwining of U.S. and China economy. You know, China rely a lot on the U.S. manufactured uh, tech goods, right? And and now now U.S. is saying, you know what? That is a uh, that is a bottleneck we can squeeze any time, and that shows U.S. is not a reliable partner, and and that they will have to go on their own. And then in in five to ten years, you know, China will not need the U.S. chips anymore. What leverage would you have then? And, and uh, but, you know, for the pol- our politicians, they all care about the four-year election cycle, right? Or two-year election cycle. So five years, that's already outside of their, um, <laughs> their scope. <laughs> they don't care what happens after, you know, they get, get voted out of office or whatever. Yeah, it's true. Very short-sighted. And I mean, I think to, to bring this back to, to this to, to Merrick Garland's statements, I mean, well, one, I just want to say it's a bit of a kangaroo court. Like, why does the United States get to try an official in another country who will never come here to stand trial to be able to actually defend themselves? I mean, this is an insane thing just to begin with. But I also think that when we're thinking about the timing of this, right, I, I'm curious your thoughts on this, Carl, but the timing of when this was released, this, this statement, it's it, coincides so much, of course, with with the party Congress in China. And I can't help but feel like there's definitely a connection. Oh, I mean, this is definitely for propaganda purposes. Like you point out, what's the point of indicting a Chinese official that you can't bring to trial in the United States? It's like me. I'm. I, it's like me making a statement. I say alien is interfering in the U.S. government. Right. But, you know, you can, it's something you can't prove and it's something you can't you know, you cannot do anything about what you do is creating fear. What they're doing is creating this fear of China. I mean, the, 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 there's like public opinion polls of uh, Americans of China. It has gone sharply negative in the recent years. You know, what has changed in the, in the last 10 years, really? Um, it's just because the propaganda machine has been cranked up to 11, right? We have been inundated with all these stories about China has been this scary uh, uh, entity that we should be somehow in deathly afraid of. And it's totally bogus. You know, whatever China do, China, what the, the, mo- the people, you know, the Chinese government has most impact are the Chinese people living in China. But U.S. Pos- officials trying now trying to position China as some, some kind of existential threat to American way of life, which is 
totally ridiculous. I mean, that's basically what Merit uh, Golden, that's what his statement said. He said, China sought to limit our freedom. <laughs> it's like, what? Yeah. You're not. Yeah, I mean, I, you know, I just looking back through history, we see the way the U.S. has thought that it's going to use China for its own benefit and really, I mean, short-sightedly underestimated China. You know, first, I mean, I remember, you know, growing up, you know, in the 90s, 80s, 90s, it was the, the cheap Chinese goods. I'm doing air quotes for the folks who are listening to our podcast here. Um, you know, but it, of course, the Chinese factories are making them to the specifications of the American companies who are purchasing them. You know, I remember in, was it 2007, 2008, the, the big lead in the toys scare. But again, it was Chinese companies making them to the exact specifications that American companies were saying were acceptable. But that was never mentioned on any of the media that was covering this and really trying to, you know, again, over a decade and a half ago at this point, trying to scare us about, you know, the great, you know, evil, you know, Chinese toys that were coming in. But now that China has been able to you know, really develop its own industries, which I think is something the U.S. never thought would actually happen, As even though part of the agreements were that China would be able to learn from the technology that was being manufactured. I think the U.S. and the West in general never thought it would actually happen, that China would be able to have its own chip fabrications, its own materials plants, its own any of these things. And of course, so now that's why we're seeing, you know, Merrick Garland making these ridiculous charges and i'm so glad too that you pointed out that like these guys they're never going to face a court like they just have to not come to the u.s to avoid you know actually going to court i mean and they do this with russia too we see this like all the time with russia now they you know charge russian agents and who will never actually go to court so it's you know it serves you know really no actual judicial purpose but we're also seeing, I think, and I want to go back to the chips, partly because of the prevalence of TSMC, right, which is one of the major chip foundries, but it's based in Taiwan. And so we have to look at that, I think, in, in a situation where the U.S. is really trying to provoke China over Taiwan overall. I mean, Nancy Pelosi, of course, with her visit, the other visits that happened shortly before and after that, there were also you know, provocations, although they were not nearly as high level as Pelosi. You know, TSMC is a Taiwan is a company based in Taiwan. It, you know, makes chips for Apple and NVIDIA and, and Intel and, you know, all of those. It's called a, you know, it, it really it just will make them for anyone. It's not owned by one of these companies. But I, I see at some point TSMC and a couple of the other uh, Taiwan based companies, you know, being real flashpoints in terms of the war that America is waging against against China uh, because of the crisis that the U.S. is creating. Oh, definitely. I mean, for the longest time, the, uh, China is the largest customer for TSMC. They, they buy huge quantity of chips from TSMC. And now you, you see in the U.S. news media, mainstream media, they floating the idea that China is going to going to gobble up Taiwan because they want the chip production of TSMC. No, China just buys the chips, has been doing that for decades. But now it's the United States government telling TSMC and Taiwan governments like, no, you cannot sell to China anymore. Think about that. Ch Ch United States government is telling another territory, you know, in this case, Taiwan, you cannot do business 
with China, right? And, and this is like this. This a lot of people just take it for granted because we're so used to be the in the U.S. imperialistic system. We don't even realize there's something odd about that. But again, you know, they're cutting TSMC intentionally from the from their their, their Chinese customers. At the same time, in the Wall Street Journal or or uh, New York Times or whatever mainstream media, they're hyping up the so-called China threat. Oh, China is going to gobble up Taiwan because they need chips. Wait, who just created this crisis? You did. <laughs> U.S. government just told Taiwan you cannot sell chips to mainland China. And then you are saying, oh, now there's a threat of, 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 uh, of uh, invasion of the People's Liberation Army on Taiwan because they need chips? You, are you kidding me? Like, for decades, there was no problem. China can... Mainland China can just sort Pfizer chips from, from TSMC. You are you are the ones that are preventing this uh, the, the trade flow from happening. And now you're saying that now it, it, it seems like US is doing whatever it can to provoke a war over the Taiwan Strait because there's a sincere belief on some part of the Pentagon officials that uh, US have about a very small limited time window, about 10 years, when US can still contain China militarily with the current U.S. military assets. And, and, and after 10 years with the growth of Chinese economy, you know, U.S. would not be able to contain China even if you wanted. To. So they feel like it's now or never. Now we have to do something right now. You know, all, all these people talking about tension over Taiwan, I have to point it out, you know, China has not sent over army to the Taiwan Island in last 70 years, right? And, 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 and in fact, right now, there's like about 2 million Taiwanese uh, students, uh, uh, people working, studying on mainland China. There was increasing cross-strait uh, exchange, people-to-people exchange. You know, U.S. is trying to put a stop to it. It's the United States government is coming in and telling people on the both sides of Taiwan Strait it's like, no, you guys cannot have a normal relationship, right? I mean, it's, it's, it's crazy. This is, this is nuts. And, 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 and you know, again, with the Pelosi, Nancy Pelosi trip, uh, Joe Biden is trying to say, oh, no, we can't control our congressman. But guess what? Nancy Pelosi flew on the U.S. Air Force planes, and she got a U.S. Air Force fighter escort into the Taiwan airspace. Are you kidding me? I mean, like, you are the commander in chief, Joe. All you have to say is like, no, you know, U.S. Air Force can't provide any escort. They can't provide you a plane. You have to fly the private uh, charter flight or, or get on a commercial flight like the U.S. congressmen used to do when they fly to Taiwan. But so, so this is definitely designed as a provocation. I'm just oh, without a doubt. Yeah, so I'm just imagining Nancy Pelosi flying commercial. That's all. <laughs> no that's actually hilarious to even imagine with her two fridges i don't know if you remember i'll never forget that in the pandemic when she had those two ten thousand dollar fridges and was like i eat ice cream like you normal people and it was just so out of control i just can't imagine her even like in first class to be honest um but separate thought and getting back to this i i think it's a very astute point carl about how the u.s really sees the limited time frame that's in front of them and it, it's a truth it is a truth 
I mean, there is going to be a point in which China is going to have all that it needs, not only militarily, but also when in terms of the kind of development it's been building with other countries, the kind of global connections, the cooperation it's fostered through all the different programs it's been building and fostering in other countries. I mean, it really just goes to show, I mean, not only the, the Belt and Road Initiative and its relationships with countries like Italy or its relationship with countries like China, like countries all across Africa, I think it's really important to see that China's really been not only diplomatically, but also developmentally. It's been growing on so many different fronts. And so I do think it's a very volatile situation for that reason, because we really see in the U.S. a ramping up of the anti-China propaganda. Like I was watching The Handmaid's Tale, which I admit that I watch. I know it's like, I don't know, like I always feel like, oh, you know, it's like middle class white ladies love the show. And I'm like, I don't know if I can like it, but I do like it. I will admit it. And just out of nowhere, it's like this random like anti-Russian statements and some like random allusion to like Hong Kong. And I was like, are you serious? Like it's invaded every aspect of our lives now. Like on TikTok, everywhere you see these videos about like how evil China is, like everything is there's always one side of the mouth is saying something that's completely unrelated to China. And then out the other side of the mouth, oh, my God, it's China. Like I've been seeing all these videos of specifically coming after Xi'an. And I'm not going to act like Xi'an as a company is ethical. I'm not going to act like it's not out here exploiting people. I'm not going to out like act like it's good for the environment. But I find that it's kind of interesting that the, the attention and focus is on this company. That's a Chinese company that's earning money in China, made by Chinese workers in China, that that that's the problem. Not H&M, not all of the, the last decade of fast fashion, not all of the historical exploitation of the West of the global South historically for cotton and for all of the different raw materials and labor that they've extracted. Let's not talk about the history of colonialism. No, the problem right now is Xi'an. And I, I'm serious. I've seen so many videos of like, look at all of these Chinese workers. Look at their work conditions. Apple was happy to take advantage of those work conditions and is still happy to take advantage of these work conditions so long as it suits them. So I just it is really odd to me how the the, the camera is always turned on the face of China as if it's the one doing all these evil things. And not everything China does is great. I mean, every country has problems and challenges. But to sit here and act like the the evil things that China is doing supposedly in Africa is colonization as, as if the, this like the BBC has any right to write an article about colonization. Like it's the contradiction for me and it's everywhere. It's gotten so out of control. I, I, I think that's exactly right. I mean, there's a really a fear among the Washington elite that U.S. is losing its grip as on the world hegemony status. And that's what they, they're really afraid of. And, and also, like we in the United States, the, the USA number one is almost built in as like American ident part of a U.S. identity, you know, like people clinging on to that. It's, it's, uh, it's like, how can U.S. be number two? No, that, that can't be. It's like if people don't realize, like, look, if China grow prosperous, that just means, you know, more trade, trade possibilities, more, more, more opportunities for U.S. companies to go there to, to, to make money and, and more opportunity for Americans to travel to China and to, to work, you know, to, to work, to, 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 to sightsee. But but no 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 that 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 can't, we we can't have a kumbaya where everybody hold hands <laughs> and we have to have a, a a competition right that's the American way we have to we have to crush our competitors and so this is the mentality in Washington right now we 
we you know we if if we can't beat them we will sabotage them we we will we will paint them as the big evil uh the big bad evil doer right and then we bring whatever resources we have to make sure they do not succeed and, and this is very dangerous because i when i was growing up in china uh when i was a, a child in 1980s china chinese people are generally very friendly to you know to 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 the west to including us you know that they they love american culture they love american pop culture etc but they can see what U.S. government has been doing, trying to contain China's rise the last 20 years. And, and, and they also understand that what U.S. is trying to prevent is to prevent the Chinese people from enjoying a more prosperous life. And that creates a lot of resentment. And, 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 and right now, U.S.-China relationship is really on a, a, a downward spiral. And, and this is really actively pushed by the agendas of U.S. government. I mean, which is fine because most of them are sponsored by, you know, weapon manufacturers anyway. And those, the, those are the ones who, are, who really benefit this, you know, Boeing, Raytheon, Raytheon, Lockheed Martin. They're making banks right now, you know, selling weapons. Uh, but, 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 but for the rest of us, this, this is really bad time. Yeah. I mean, just on that point about propaganda, I mean, we can't forget to talk about TikTok too, right? I mean, it has been just like the darling of scare articles. I mean, the Washington Post, I'm looking at, you know, one right now. It's like, uh, you know, as Washington wavers on TikTok, Beijing exerts control. Like, because Trump ended up not banning TikTok or forcing it to be bought by a third company, which would have been Oracle, most likely, which, by the way, was founded but with uh, investment from the CIA, you know, like, you know, that was never spoken about. And I, I think like that kind of, you know, propaganda against China. Um, but, you know, and you're right, because it's also coming from like the war manufacturers, right? You know, from from the Raytheons and the Boeings and Lockheed Martins and all of that. I mean, they are more and than also happy. from uh, high tech, from the high tech sector oh, yeah. like, of Facebook and Google. Right now, they're really being out competed by tiktok you know like the youtube short videos or reels or, or, or instagram <laughs> they're, they're, they're being blown out of water by tiktok so, so mark zuckerberg and this and the google ceo they're they're the ones actively lobbying u.s government right. to ban tiktok right now because because tiktok is their number one competition right. they and, can't compete and and, and and you, we know all these companies, tech comp- U.S. tech companies, they're all embedded with the U.S. military in- intelligence <laughs> complex, right? They, you know, they are part, they're all complicit, part of the, the, the great surveillance, uh, uh, you know, the uh, surveillance <laughs> program that U.S. government conduct on its citizens. So these people are now basically doing 100% projection. They're saying, oh, no, 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 no. TikTok is dangerous because he allowed Chinese government to collect data on U.S. Uh, citizens. What the hell is Chinese government going to do with your data? I mean, like, like U.S. Uh, Chinese government have no jurisdiction over you. You should be more afraid of U.S. government <laughs> collecting your private data because they can actually do something about you. <laughs> right. Uh, Right. I mean, like, I don't care if the Chinese government knows how many cat videos I watch. I mean, frankly, that's just the reality. <laughs> Not to downplay concerns about spying, you know, and, and, and all of that. I mean, 
I certainly am not downplaying any of it, but really, if they just know that I can't stop swiping on TikTok, then like that's that's okay for me, I guess. Um, <laughs> but you know, I, I think at the same time too, you know, I'm, we're, I think we're, we're we're having a good time, we're laughing, but it also is just a sig- signifier of the really dangerous times we are in because you know we say that the term new cold war and it's happening against China, but also Russia at the same time, and China has taken this extremely I think balanced and nuanced, you know, position towards Russia's, you know, military intervention in in Ukraine. And of course, if it's not an outright condemnation, then the U.S. will not accept that, right? They, the U.S. has no room for nuance. But it's going is, to. Is there I, mean, us I think or it's, them? It's, 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 you are either with us or with them. You know, I remember it's, that when Bush in like that. George W. Bush. Uh, yeah, George Bush only voiced what. You know, the average American decision makers always thought, but, you know, it was not polite to say it. You know, you know people dislike George Bush back then and people did dislike Trump is actually they said out aloud what everybody is thinking. <laughs> and, and that is why they have been cast. Oh, by the way, George Bush has been rehabilitated nowadays. You know, <laughs> I mean, how, how crazy is that? It's not, now he's an acceptable senior statesman, whatever, despite all the war crime on his hands. Um, you know, this is how, how US, U.S. media environment works. They really think that we have like the attention span of a gnat, right? Like they just, uh, yeah, it's, it's, it's kind of sad. It's, it's, it's sad because we, you know, we are all <laughs> live in such an environment. But uh, that's where we're, we are right now. I, I mean, I think for me, la- you know, we're having fun. We're laughing. For me, laughing is the defense mechanism. What can you do? What can you do when you live in such ridiculousness? You, you, you laugh. You laugh at all these absurd absurdity and their stupidity. What else are you going to do? I mean, right. it's very true. And I think, you know, one of the things that I think about a lot is that when when we're talking about all of the challenges that we're that we're seeing in the world, when we're talking about U.S. capitalism, I mean, what, what they when you say the quiet part out loud, I mean, that's what the ruling class has always wanted. I mean, the, the what's kind of crazy to think about, too, is that the Democrats and the Republicans have just spent the last two years undermining the legitimacy of their own government. I mean, that's kind of crazy. They're like fighting each other to beat each other to the punch, to de legitimize the the U.S. government. So we now have people in the United States who are, of course, angry at the situation that's going on, don't trust people in the government in any way, shape or form to fix it and know that ultimately the government isn't to be trusted. It's a situation that is continuing to grow and develop. And so the U.S.'s response has been, well, let's just ramp up our propaganda to go to war. I mean, let's not fix inflation. Let's not fix all of the challenges in the United States. Let's go ahead and just focus on war. And that's what the ruling class wants to do. And I think it's important that we talk about this because the reality of nuclear war cannot be understated. And sometimes we can feel very helpless, very powerless. But the truth is, is that if we organize, if we come together, if we get in the streets, if we break down what is really going on for people, we talk about it, we talk to our friends, we talk to our neighbors, and we take collective action, we can start talking, we can really start changing the conversation. Like I know Chris has so many stories of the early, the early, 
anti-war movement fighting against the war in Iraq. And it started with a small group of people who everyone hated. I mean, everyone, the whole country was looking at anti-war organizers and saying, you guys are terrorists. You're awful. You're evil. And then it eventually launched one of the largest anti-war demonstrations in U.S. history. And so I think it's about being on that mindset. And people on the left, people that care about just common humanity, that care about peace, they have to recognize what's going on with China. They have to see what the U.S. is doing with Russia and with Iran as we keep seeing the U.S. kind of throw out all of these darts, these targeted assaults and attacks. We have to start seeing them for what they are. And especially when we're talking about racism at home. Racism abroad is racism at home. There's no disconnecting it. So anybody who cares about ending racism in America has to also care about the U.S. Cold War on China. So I do believe, I strongly believe, even though it can feel hopeless sometimes, that absolutely people in the United States see through a lot of the the propaganda, but they also don't quite know who to trust or where to go. And that's why independent media is so important. And it's why organizing is so important. But I just... I think it's important to, to, to always have that mindset that something can be done, even though the reality is that the U.S. government is barreling ahead as if it's absolutely going to be unchallenged, like it's completely right. But we watch over and over again them do that, and they're wrong each time. I mean, with Lula in Brazil, I'm just thinking about this a lot. Like, the U.S. had to, like, concede in a way. They had to be nice to Lula. They had to have a new attitude and a new way of treating him because they know that they've lost. And I think that it's important to see that, that the right wing has lost and that there is hope. And I think Lula has been giving me a lot of hope. So it's on a separate topic in a way, but I feel like it's all connected that the U.S. is not an empire that can't be defeated. It's just an empire that thinks it can't be. Thank you, Rachel. Thank you for that, that talk of hope. It actually helps a lot. <laughs> we, we all need that ray of, uh, ray of hope in our life. And, we, and, you're, and I just want to point out all these uh, talking points, U.S. Uh, propaganda against China and Russia or sometimes even Iran, these ho- almost 100% projection. You know, if you... Take what they're talking about, points about Russia, about how it's a it's an oligarch run society. That's exactly what United States is. You know, we both our parties are 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 backed by different oligarchs. You know, either in the media, in the de- in the defense industry, you know, by the Koch brothers. You know, we <laughs> we we are we know deep down in the, in our heart, average Americans know. The state, the true state of our society, <laughs> you know. But but right now, the, the media is trying to project onto our imagined enemy. But but you know, this is is comical, it's ridiculous, and I'm glad uh, you know I'm talking with you guys and get it off my chest. <laughs> Absolutely, I think as uh, you know, in our last few minutes, I, I want to kind of switch topics a little bit. I want to. I recently listened to an episode you did earlier this year on the Manifold One podcast, and you opened up with a bunch of kind of biographical information about yourself that was actually very interesting to learn about somebody who I've been following for, for quite some time. But you you mentioned that you kind of got it, or it seemed like you got into the politics of things as a side effect of the chi- of the history. You were so interested in the history, but you had to get involved in the politics. Uh, and I, I got a really, you know... It, and I, I love that story, but I want to ask you as we are looking forward, right? Because Rachel is correct. We have to continue to look forward and look at what's next and what we can all do. 
as you're looking at the, the results of the, the, the uh, party Congress that just wrapped up recently, uh, what are you what are you thinking about the next period for China? Um, you know, either internally or, you know, on the, the global stage. I mean, it's a very different period, uh, you know, that then we've seen for quite some time. Well, I think, uh, you know, that the party, the, the importance of the 20th uh, Party Congress is just confirmed the, the lineup of the next uh, leadership for the next five years. And, and you know, she is confirmed basically for the third term. So we will probably expect more of the same. Um, you know, th there, will, there will not be uh, like drastic changes in, in the Chinese policy. I, I think in a way... Um, I think it's kind of needed right now. Uh, you know, I know normally the you know since the Deng Xiaoping assumed power, there has been a kind of implicit two terms policy for the Chinese leaders. Um, but at this point, China is at a very critical juncture. You know, with U.S. ratcheting up the the, the Cold War against China, so so with with uh, she remaining the leadership, I think that ensure. A, a, a some a stability, um, the, the political stability in China going forward for the next five years, and and so I think we're just going to see some of the th same stuff. One of the biggest challenge in China right now is uh, still COVID, still COVID and U.S. tech sanction. Th these are the two biggest challenges. But I I think these challenges are not uh, it, they can be overcome. I mean the the the, the the, your, China just need time to 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 resolve these two issues, um, and and I think in the next five years we will see how that unfolds. And I I have comfort, full confidence um, in China to resolve these issues internally. And and the the you know the the the, the tech sanction is just a matter of piling tons of money, man, resources, and time. And I think in five ten years. They will be able to um, build indigenously their own own tech stack, and and hopefully not you know build an alternative platform to like Apple and Android because right now U.S. companies basically have a duopoly over the the mobile space because you know you are either on Android or you are on Apple, uh, and 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 and, and, Hu and Huawei is almost forced to develop their own system Harmony OS because. You know, U.S. threat to kick them out of Android system. So, so now we were going to see a lot more exciting stuff. I think in the next five years, coming from the Chinese text. This is my my little prediction. <laughs> no, I, I I definitely agree with you. I, there's a lot of really interesting stuff we're going to see, and in some ways, on the theme of hope, I absolutely feel like gives me a lot of hope to see what China's been doing. It really does. I think that China can, and if in China can really chart a new path for people in the world. I mean, we saw what they did in leading the way with COVID. I think the COVID situation is an important one to pay attention to in China. I'm actually very concerned about it because it's. I don't envy anyone who has to make those decisions. I mean, it's a huge question to open up a country where you know there will be casualties. And I respect the Chinese government and the Chinese people so much for taking zero COVID so seriously. I mean, I could only imagine what it would be like to have your government care about you, like care about whether or not you live or die. And now it's in a situation where because the rest of the global world has opened up and decided to do whatever it has decided to do, that ultimately it makes a lot of sense that it's a very difficult challenge. I mean, in some ways you, you can't have socialism in one 
state? How do you just how do you keep the world out? How, it's impossible. I mean, people in their own country are going to be upset. And of course, people all across the netosphere in China are very upset about being about the lockdowns, about the sporadic way things are, are under, unfolding still about like the, all the different travel restrictions. And so we're going to have that could come to a head. And the U.S. absolutely is going to use it as fodder. So I think we have to also keep an eye out for that and recognize that there's a lot of nuance and complexity in the question of COVID in China, a lot of different public opinion, which, again, not everybody in China has the same opinion, even though the U.S. wants you to believe that it's completely racist and not true. There's a lot of different opinions on this issue. So I definitely feel like that's an important thing to be paying attention to looking forward. But if China can have high speed trains that can get you across just the country and in a matter of hours that used to take you days, I mean, it just blows my mind about what's possible and the kind of like global political atmosphere that's possible too. like the idea of real multi multipolar world. I mean, it's both exciting and also scary prospect because when you have a multipolar world, you can also then have, of course, many types of world war. But I also think the idea uh, of people who have the right to their own self-determination, deciding for themselves and helping empower the rest of the world to do that. I think China is a leading light in that. And that's why the global South looks to China for that inspiration. And I definitely do too. So there's so much more I could say, but Carl, any other last thoughts? Yeah, I mean, uh, the, the problems China face are technical issues. I mean, a lot of the Chinese leadership are trained engineers that they know how to solve technical issues. And uh, the problem in the U.S. is structural. <laughs> we have much, much deeper fundamental problems here, you know, because we basically have two oligarch-backed uh, parties that, that basically serve the same <laughs> interests. And uh, and they are really actively pushing for com- military confrontation all across the globe. Uh, but but thank you, Rachel, for your message of hope. You know, like that that really helped. That that I think it's uh, we all need that. We all need that in the the struggle <laughs> against the U.S. empire. appreciate that well either way we are gonna have to leave it right there that was the voice of carl za host of silk and steel podcast highly recommend checking it out it's a great podcast it focuses on chinese history culture and politics and so much more either way we will see you next time thanks so much for joining us carl thank you rachel thank you chris you're listening to Covert Action Bulletin, the official show and podcast of Covert Action Magazine, where we've been exposing the covert action of the U.S. government and plutocrats worldwide since 1978. And before we go, I do want to remind folks that if you like what you heard today and you want to support independent journalism, because voices like these are so important to make sure that we get the truth out, that we continue to talk about what's important, regardless of what the algorithms say we can talk about, I want you to go to patreon.com backslash Covert Action Magazine become a patron to get early access and exclusive content if you're not a patron be sure to subscribe it's really something that can help continue to keep this show going but either way we are out of all out of time for today thanks for listening to covert action bulletin covert action